Spanish bitch from uptown, I put a voice down. <laughs> yeah, oh. Hello, hello, and welcome to a very special edition of the Lane Violation Podcast, where we might just cross some lines. My name is Greg Mello, and today I have a very special guest. Uh, Dre and Louie are out in the field reporting, doing their own stories. So on the other side for me, a fellow Philly sports fan, close friend, fellow Medillion, Emma Goodson. How are you today? Hi, Greg. Doing pretty well. Um... It's been an interesting morning, but excited to be on the pod. Yeah, for sure. It has been an interesting morning. <laughs> have dealt with a few technical issues to get here, uh, but that's all squared away. Uh, and we should have another guest on in a little bit. But first, Emma, uh, if you could just a little bit of background about you, and then we will do some quick, I'm going to hijack the show, talk Sixers Bulls for like <laughs> two minutes, and then we'll, we'll get into our guests. So. Um. As Greg mentioned, I'm from Philly, big Philly sports fan, um, love the Sixers, happy about Bryce. It's been a good year so far, you know, except for the Eagles. Uh, was hoping they would uh, make it a little further in the playoffs this year, but that's all right. Uh, 2019's looking good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and like we said before, uh, Sixers-Bulls last night went to the game, you know, I am an employee of the Bulls, so I got to be careful of what I'm saying here. Uh, but Emma went straight <laughs> up as a fan. Yes. Uh, and and we did meet up for a little bit, watch the game. Uh, really wild ending in that one, Emma. Uh, first of all, Bulls come out victors in this, uh, thanks to Zach Levine's uh, game-winning layup, uh, 108-107. And we, the Sixers really fell in crunch time, the fourth quarter, very sloppy. Emma, what, what were you seeing out there? Um. Yeah, just a lot of sloppiness, like very poor on defensive rebounds, um, just not good at blocking. Yeah, it was just sloppiness. And then on offense, like no one could really get a shot off. It was just not not good play for them. Yeah, turnovers, um, you know, Brett Brown, I, I think, had some issues adjusting down the stretch. Robin Lopez, the immortal guy of the Chicago Bulls, was just feasting on Mike Scott. And, you know, would we have liked to see Amir Johnson out there maybe? Perhaps. I don't know. Uh, it was it was a tough loss. And then to add insult to injury, Emma, <laughs> they decided to replay the final .5 seconds uh, after the Sixers had lost because the uh, clock operator had started it up before the ball was truly inbounded. Uh, so a crazy scene where half the stadium already had left, uh, I, I think I you left. said. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, we're, we're in the tunnel. Sixers are coming out. And then people are saying, no, wait, come back. Um, you know, Jimmy Butler, you know, uh, he's seen on ESPN running out from the locker room, coming out there. And the Sixers go out there, lose again because it's .5 seconds. It's pretty difficult to get anything in on time in that situation. So not a great look for us. Uh Definitely want to do better than that. I don't think this is any reason to burn any houses down. But <laughs> if you're going to the Chicago, you're playing the Bulls. I you don't only know. Have I, to... I might bull, burn a Bulls hat if I find it. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it. It was a tough loss for sure. But uh, hopefully, hopefully Sixers can overcome that. Hopefully Embiid coming back soon. Uh, tra- not traveling with them to Houston, I believe, last time uh, we looked on that. But 
To move on today, we will have a special guest on the pod, NBA scout, uh, NCAA scout, Elon Vinokurov of EV Hoops, uh, based out of Philly. And Elon is a uh, good friend. I uh, took his Scout U uh, summer uh, scouting class a few years ago. He's got a great eye for the game, um, and I'm sure this is going to be a very busy time for him, but I'm just glad that he pulled aside a few minutes of his time to set up with us today. Uh, And we will be looking at uh, actually the NBA's uh, draft proposal that came out a few weeks ago where the league is looking to lower the draft age from 19 to 18 years old. And we're going to be talking with Elon about just how that might affect uh, you know, the high schools uh, now in the across the country, the NCAA game, uh, you know, pros and cons. We're going to go through a couple of different things. I think that Elon really will provide some good perspective for us. So uh, we're going to give Elon a call and we'll be right back in uh, just a sec. And we are back with Elon Vinokurov of EV Hoops, uh, NBA scout, NCAA prospect scout. Uh, Elon, thank you for joining us. Hope you're ready for this uh, this grilling that we're going to give you, huh? <laughs> yeah, always always happy to talk uh, about the prep to pro generation and the return of that era and kind of how that's going to shape the future of the NBA draft. So, Elon, just uh, first off. Uh, I'm sure you've been following what the the NBA has been proposing to draft uh, the draft age now going to be hopefully to 18. They're looking at the 2022 draft class to start that up. Um, so, what are just your general thoughts about how that is going to impact the game? Um, some some quick pros cons from your perspective. I mean, it's you always increase the the possibility of risk anytime you get less of a chance to see players. Um, you know, like it, when you get to see a guy play in the NCAA tournament and conference tournaments all season from from you know November to, to March, um, and you get to see them tons of times, uh, and you get to see them against better competition, it's it, it, you'd like to think that it improves your your chances of hitting on a player, being right, and being accurate on what you think a player is ultimately going to be. Uh, when you talk about guys coming from high school they're playing in lesser competition they have lesser talent around them uh they're, they're just overall younger typically obviously and their maturity level is is less so you know the i guess the the risk there is that you're just increasing the probability that you're just wrong about a player um you're more maybe likely to be impacted by where a player is ranked in this high school class. Not that you're going to think that that's the end-all, be-all, but you're, there's some sort of like mental anchor there in where a player's ranked in a high school class that you might not even know exists or want to admit exists. But it's what's driving you probably to go see a player in the first place. Um, whereas in college, you, you just have kind of more time to let the cream rise to the top. And I think you're going to lose that which means NBA teams are in high school gyms, NBA teams are probably going to AAU events. And we just have to see, like, we know what that did to the prep to pro generation, starting with, you know, the Garnets of the world and up to, like, the, the Lou Williams and the Montellas and the Andrew Bynums. But, like, that's a different era. That's not an era that grew up with social media. Um, I don't think that that's an era that was as impacted by the AAU culture. So, like, what is... What are NBA teams in high school gyms and NBA teams at AAU games going to do 
to an era of players that is growing up with social media, is growing up with this AAU culture, is growing up with what you know, Adam Silver has come out and said is, is just kind of like a, a general, almost like an, a state of like unhappiness. And I, I don't know, I mean, it's possible to say, but I think it's something we have to kind of at least talk about and try to figure out. What are your thoughts on just kind of looking at uh, nowadays the high schools, um, especially in uh, the more more uh, higher end prep schools coming out for the upper echelon of prospects? They have world class, you know, strength and conditioning uh, coaches, uh, or I guess not world class, but higher end strength and conditioning coaches, uh, better facilities as a whole. What do you think about? the way that the high school prospects now will translate physically uh, making the jump to the NBA? I still think you're – it's not like we can look at these schools and say, oh, they have so much better technology, they have so much better uh, information when they're, when they're training kids in the, in the weight room. Like that alone is going to decrease the probability of failure here. I mean, just look at – IMG Academy, which I think is a great institution. I think they do a really nice job. If you were to ever go tour their facilities, it's what they have going on there is just incredible. Their weight room, their their Gatorade sports science program, it's it's a really great place. And yet you have a guy like Anthony Simons that goes into the league with a body that's underdeveloped. You have a guy like Sanam Singh that just like wasn't an NBA player and was drafted in the second round. And you have a guy like Trevon Duval, who is different because he obviously went to Duke for a year, but like Duval had all these things around him, all this help, and he still went to Duke and couldn't shoot, and that was something he couldn't do up to you know his sophomore year in high school. And he gets a year to spend you know an IMG Academy with some of the best coaches and trainers in the world, and he still can't shoot. And that's not a knock on IMG Academy. That's just to say that like these programs aren't going to fix everything. You're still talking about somebody that's really young and a basketball developer. Uh, what do you think about, uh, I, I know that we talked to a college strength and conditioning coach that had some, uh, some experience working in the pros, and they were talking about how realistically, even when players come to college for, let's say, three to four months, uh, a little bit longer because they're really just focusing in on the basketball, not really their classes, they're not really gaining that much uh, from the physical perspective uh, but I know you're you're talking a little bit more about the mental game. So what is it at the college level specifically, um, aside from from the talent that you think the, the of, of course the higher talent a little bit? What, what do you think these guys are gaining from like an experienced mental perspective? I think you're just playing basketball against better talent than you would if you were simply playing your prep school, um, playing a year kind of in a in an overseas league where you're not really playing at all. Um, or doing like the Mitchell Robinson plan where you're, you're literally not playing at all. Um, so I, I think like there's a lot to be said for watching somebody in November play college basketball, watching them again in January and saying they're getting better. Like that's something that doesn't exist really in any of these other routes, whether it's not playing at all or playing internationally I, or playing prep school. Like when you look at the college tape and you look at like a Gilgis Alexander and you see how much better he got throughout the course of one season, I think that really matters. And it lets Gilgis Alexander kind of rise naturally and organically to the top based on merit. Now, if you're from an evaluator standpoint, that's the ideal situation because, again, you're letting the cream rise to the top. But 
I just think there's an opportunity there to like be challenged and improve. Now, if you're like a Jaleel Okafor, you might say, I don't know what was different for me. I know I went and won a national championship. Um, I know that that probably played a part, but he probably would have been drafted high no matter what, and he wouldn't have had to have those games against like the Jakob Pertles in the world where people started to wonder, maybe this is what the problem is. Maybe when he goes against the bigger center that he can't guard and he can't really score against, he's kind of exposed and started to open up some holes in his game that we might not have seen in high school. So I get from a player's perspective that there's more opportunity to nitpick you and poke holes and find your weaknesses, and you have to go to class and you have to do things that you might not want to do, especially if you're only going to be in school for four months, for three months. But I think that we can't underrate how valuable it is to play high competition and improve through the course of the season. Do you think there's something to be said about uh, for these guys going into college, uh, having to face some adversity, maybe it's the first time that they're dealing with coaching staffs that won't let them get away with nearly enough at the high school level. Do you think that that's something um, teams also kind of take into account? I think that's true. I don't think that that's universal, though. Like, if you are if you go play at, like, a Duke in Kentucky, sure, there's things you're not going to get away with, especially when there's the talent that's around you and the talent that you're practicing against. Um, if you are the kind of guy that just goes to a school where you're the only talent there, where, like, I'll just throw Markel Fulton to this equation. I think you're able to get away with a little bit more. Um, so I don't think that that's universal. I just think it's something that it's definitely a positive to be challenged by better coaches, to be challenged by better players. Um, but I wouldn't say it's like a blanket statement. Okay. Um, Emma, do you have any extra thoughts here? Um, yeah. So I had a question. Um, when you're look- When teams are looking at, you know, players – from high school versus players in college, are there different traits or skills that you're really looking for in that person to, you know, really decide to go all in on them pretty like early on? I mean, I know right now this isn't necessarily a thing, but in the future, do you think there would be different skill sets that are being looked at um, compared to guys who have played in college for a couple of years? I don't think that there's like a particular skill or a set of skills that I would value necessarily in one over the other. I think evaluating players is really kind of like a, it's a full look at these guys. You're not just going to, I'm not the type of evaluator that wants to say like, Oh, this guy can make a three, any place defense. Therefore he's a three and D guy. Therefore I love him. Like to me, that's not evaluating. It's like creating a checklist. Um, but I do think the things that you're not going to get as much of a pass for are probably lack of athleticism or lack of prototypical size for your position. So, like, just look at a guy like Grant Williams, who has had three years at Tennessee to kind of get better and prove that he's a serious prospect and become an an All-American candidate. And he's done that by being productive every single season, adding to his game, taking Tennessee to a national championship contender. If we just rewind and we look at Grant Williams as a high school player and he would have declared no one would have ever drafted him, no one would have taken him seriously. They would have said this is a six or four, six or five power forward. So I think college gives you the opportunity if you're outside the box to kind of like carve out your own lane and build your resume. But when you're in high school, I do think you're not going to be able to get away with having the wrong dimensions and the wrong athletic profile. I think that's probably going to be like the first thing that makes you a prospect. 
unless you have something that makes you incredibly unique. Like maybe you're just a huge point guard, even though you're not like, I'm, I'm just kind of throwing stuff out there. But ultimately I think you, you kind of are going to need the requisite size and athletic profile to really get the conversation started at the high school level. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and then but let's, I, I will have to bring this up at least once. Uh, Elon, what are your thoughts on the Zion Williamson situation right now, you know, with the injury kind of, I think this also might have had a little bit in, in talks uh, with the league, even though they said they, they didn't, it was not reactionary that they brought a proposal in this way. But do you think, um, may, just your personal opinion, uh, it, do you think Zion gets anything from uh, playing the, the rest of the, the season, getting into the, once they get into the tournament, doing some run there? you think that uh, he should stay out of it and, you know, he's already proved what he needs to prove sort of a deal? Uh, I guess I would answer that question like three parts. Um, one, I would say, if Zion never played another game of college basketball versus if Zion ended up playing in you know an NCAA tournament, what would change for his draft stock? To me, the answer is nothing. He's the number one overall pick now. He'll be the number one overall pick if he doesn't play again, and he'll be the number one overall pick if uh, he does play again. I guess the only wrinkle there would be if Zion Williamson didn't play the rest of the season and he showed up at the Chicago Combine and he was 350 pounds, then sure, we could have a conversation that maybe he shouldn't be the number one overall pick. But that, to me, is like number one. Nothing's really going to change for his draft stock, in my opinion. Now, if Zion Williamson goes and plays, and he gets the opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament, there's something there that can be gained for him as a basketball player. And to me, that would just be, when you watch Duke late in games, it's so often R.J. Barrett who kind of takes the reins and wants to take over. And if you're drafting Zion Williamson number one overall, you want to see some of that, not even, I don't even want to call it alpha. I just want to call it like ISO, takeover ability, give me the ball, I'm going to carry us format when we need them. Doesn't mean Zion Williamson hasn't been phenomenal. Doesn't mean he hasn't been you know, unbelievably productive. But I want to see times where he puts the ball in his hands late in games, in, in big moments, and shows I can do this also in the NBA. Because to me, RJ is hot in most of his opportunities. That's not because Zion can't do it. I think it's more a testament to RJ's personality, but that's been what's happened. So I'd like to see Zion be put in those situations when it matters in the tournament. I think that's really good for him. Um, but the third thing I would just say is it's Zion's choice. And, you know, I mean, you could look at it and say what you would do if you were him. Um, I think knowing Zion as a person and the kind of competitor he is and the kind of kid he is, I don't think he'd want to do it. I just don't think – I think he would want to continue to play with his teammates and get that opportunity – to fight for a national championship. Um, but ultimately, you can't fall the kid either way if he says, you know, I've, I've had lower body injuries before. I don't want to mess with this. It's not worth it for my career. I, I would not understand that. And I don't think you could, you could, you know, ridicule or criticize the kid if that's what he chose to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then, Emma, yeah, I think you, are you all set or do you have one more question for him, I know? Um, yeah, so more of a fun question. Um, who is your favorite player who has come out, you know, before 2005, before the rule change? Um, who's your favorite player that came out straight from high school into the NBA? Um, that's a tough question. Uh, I would probably say I, I, you know, I was playing a lot of like rec league ball and Darius Miles was coming out. 
<laughs> and I was doing the, the Darius Miles, Quinn Richardson uh, celebration after shots with my buddies. So just for uh, personal anecdotes and like life memories, I'll go with Darius Miles. Great pick. Love that guy. <laughs> the dunk, dunks for, for days with that guy right there. So the, the guy who was in you know a movie really early in his NBA career and he completely fizzled out like shortly after. <laughs> what, what movie was that? The Perfect Score. All right, I'm gonna have to look. I'm gonna have to look up into it. Elon has a much better memory with things like this than I would. So I, <laughs> listeners also probably look this up for sure. I'm pretty sure I, I could be wrong. I, I want to say like Chris Evans is in the movie and and so is. Scarlett Johansson, but I could be totally wrong on that. I might just be like, I mean, I'm worse with my actor and actress memory than NBA, but Harris Miles is 100% in that movie. I can't remember who else is in it. All right, perfect. Well, Elon, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today, and uh, I wish you the best moving forward. I know this is a tough time for you, but I, I look forward to reading what you guys put out there. And uh, uh, Also, check out the, uh, the War Room podcast that Elon hosts for sure. Yeah, and, you know, I actually met you, Greg, through Scout U. So if anybody's interested in learning how to scout, uh, shoot us an email, scoutu at evhoops.com. We teach classes in the summer. Yes, 100% back that class. Elon's a great teacher, and you really get a different perspective on the game, for sure. Also, real quick, I just checked, and you were right. It is Scarlett Johansson and Chris Evans. <laughs> They're both in that movie? Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. Cool. I, I, I'm glad I still got it when it comes to actors and actresses. All right. Perfect. Thanks, Elon. Take care. How's it going? So uh, that was Elon, and uh, really good guy. You know, like I said, took his scouting class. Really, really helps him out with uh, seeing the game differently. Um, really brought some uh, interesting thoughts to the table, I think, Emma, uh, that we hadn't gotten before uh, mm -hmm. when we talked with some uh, – some more NBA guys. We talked, I think, with the more medical side so far. Uh, but yeah. definitely looking at the mental aspects of the game, uh, seeing what could be missed out for some of these guys, not making that jump to the college level before you're the pros. Um, yeah, I've already said about, um, you know, what they, what they would look for in scouting. Um, high school players was interesting because I think obviously there has to be some sort of factor that makes – that player stand out for a team to be like, yes, we want him without seeing how he further develops. Whereas, like he mentioned, if you're playing in college, you see more of that development and growth. And, you know, they do face some adversity like you were talking about, Greg. So that was interesting. Yeah, I think that the thing to look at for these guys, that I mean, we all know that the high school guys that make the jump, there's something that's just telling you that they're ready uh, for the most part. So the guys like a LeBron, like a Zion, like a Kevin Garnett, a Kobe, a Tracy McGrady, like everyone kind of knew that they were ready physically. And it was just that translating to the speed of the game at the pro level. Mm -hmm. um, but there are a couple of other guys, you know, like an Amir Johnson, like a Lou Williams that take a little bit more time and maybe they would have benefited from making that jump to college first. So, but I think that there's always going to be that question. I think that um, 2022 uh, will be an interesting time if this uh, proposal passes. I know that there's a couple of obstacles that the Players Association and NBA need to get over. Um, 
but yeah, I think that I, I I don't think it will drastically change the way that we look at the game. Um, it's just going to be more like some of those younger guys that come in are going to have a little bit of a bigger obstacle, I think, to overcome mm-hmm. than if they had gone to, to college. But it certainly would be yeah. a fun time. Definitely fun to get more younger stars into the game, and that's definitely going to help the growth of the game. Uh, so, Emma, any final thoughts, or you want to plug anything of yours? I know you're you're thinking of maybe doing a pod, maybe, perhaps? <laughs> yeah, um, with Greg's help, hopefully, we'll start a uh, pop culture pod in a few weeks, but stay tuned. I'll... Uh, you know, put an ad into late violation. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so as always, thank you to listening to the lane violation podcast. Definitely cross some lines today and uh, stay tuned for an NBA pod coming out to you soon as well uh, with Louie and Dre. We're going to probably get some, we'll probably be back in the studio tomorrow. Um, probably recap some Lakers, uh, Celtics bouncing back, a couple of other things. We'll talk about it. And, uh, yeah, it should be should be a good time. So, you know, not as good though because I won't be there. But <laughs> Emma, whatever, <laughs> <laughs> Emma won't be there, so you will miss her lovely voice. But uh, we'll we'll get we'll we'll get her on for a no cap, I think, soon enough for sure. All right, so take care. From uptown, I put of us down. <laughs> yeah, oh, then I keep down my truck. I took my sand and loca in the kitchen. Whipping that dope up, you can smell a odor. Pug on pigeon, we gon' hit it.